0: Good morning Uh, God loves diversity doesn't he no two snowflakes are alike you ever try to see that same is true of us each one of us he made us all different we all have unique interests we all have unique tastes we all have unique desires the interesting thing is how God puts us all together people that are different that is you know morning people marry night people is that the truth to that or 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 neat parents have messy kids anybody have that yeah I understand God loves diversity and diverse people often end up together but the opposites attract we know that opposites attract but given enough time opposites attack it's true in your marriage it's true with your children and family it's true in the church this morning we're going to discover what the Bible says about managing conflict. We need to learn this because many of us, as you well know, churches have not always demonstrated uh, the appropriate behavior when it comes to differences and disagreement. If you've been in a church for any length of time, you've been in conflict that's almost guaranteed. Some churches they fight over theology. Some churches fight over personalities. Some churches fight over music styles and other churches sometimes fight over who used the forks on Thursday night and didn't put them back in the drawer in the church kitchen. You know, that kind of thing. If you ask the average person on the street why they don't go to church, usually two reasons come up. Number one is Christians are hypocrites. And number two is Christians are always fighting together with one another. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's the goal. Romans 12, 16 tells us, live in harmony with one another. Ephesians 4 says, we're to be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. We will have conflict. But God's intention is that when conflicts do occur, we would follow his instructions to preserve the unity. It's a beautiful thing when brothers and sisters dwell in unity, get along. So today the Bible gives us six virtues for reducing conflict in our relationships with one another. Six ingredients, six attitudes. If you'll work on these, if you'll build these into your own life and into the relationships you have with others, your satisfaction for fulfillment in the relationships will dramatically increase and the conflict and your relationships with other people will dramatically decrease. And they're found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. So if your Bible there or your uh, smartphone, turn to Colossians 3, verses 12 to 14. We continue, I'll read it as you read along with me. Put on then, Paul writes, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these you put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony well what's interesting in in, in these virtues is that they are pictured as articles of clothing And with our new identity in Christ, God has a new wardrobe for you. And so here's the point. Don't neglect to put on what God has laid out for you. Don't neglect to put on what God has bought for you. I want to quote that great theologian, Rodney Dangerfield, from of old, who once said, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. Do you remember the hockey games of years gone by, decades gone by, maybe the Broad Street Bullies? You're following the puck, you're trying to follow on the black and white TV, and all of a sudden the gloves come off and the shirts are torn off and then the helmets fly. By the time the referees get the guys into the penalty boxes, all you have on the ice is littered with sticks and gloves and all types of clothing. It's like that in conflict. The gloves come off. And then certain attitudes that ought to govern and steer the conversation, they're tossed down. And that's why he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In other words, dress with a wardrobe God bought you. Don't neglect to put on what God laid out for you to wear. The command from God is put them on. The motive to obey God's command is who we are in Christ, our new identity. We're chosen, wholly set apart, and beloved. Now, anyone reading this letter in the region of Colossae would have have been reminded of their newfound faith, especially when it comes to their baptism. Because when they would go down into the water, they would, they would take off their outer worn-out, torn, dirty garment, lay it aside. They'd go into the water. When they come out of the water, they would be given this beautiful white robe to wear for the rest of the day among the people. And that new white robe was indicative of their new life. Well, you have a new life, too, in Christ. And so here today, you have six pieces of clothing, clean, fresh totally new maybe never worn before by you that you need to put on and that you need to wear in Christ in case a fight breaks out and it will so what do you wear to the fight well here's what you put on first you put on heartfelt compassion as a kid I would scare my mom I used to love to do that she'd be standing at the counter and hopefully not with a paring knife in hand, and I would come up from behind her, and I would sort of you know, get her in the side and the ribs, and sort of say, boo! And she would turn around she'd oh, you scared me! Jay, stop doing that! And then I'd smile, and then she'd smile, sort of, and then she'd turn around and go back to her work. Why didn't she belt me? Why didn't she scream at me? Because... Of her attitude towards me. She knew me. Before we even begin to deal with others. Especially in conflict. We bring an attitude to the relationship. It's either going to be a tender attitude. One of compassion and respect. Or it's going to be a cold attitude. Sometimes just by the look on your face. Says it all. Nothing more needs to be said. You've doomed the discussion from the very upstart. Why? Because we come with the wrong attitude. Colossians 3.12 we read, put them on as chosen, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. The word literally means tender, gentle, merciful in action. It's being, it's being predisposed of the needs of the other person. It's coming with the other person in mind. Remember the first time you ever held a baby? You know tender gentle sensitive maybe the baby's cooing oh maybe the baby's wailing oh but still you come with gentleness and tenderness and sensitivity why because you're predisposed to that baby you already know the baby's just being a baby it's what babies do It's coming with tender hearts towards the other, regardless of how they are coming at us. And that's hard to do, even in the best of times. How can we be compassionate in the middle of a disagreement? What makes it so difficult to be tender in our approach to people? Well, here's a couple reasons. Number one is, some of us are preoccupied with ourselves. We're so convinced that we're right... That we don't take time to listen. Write this down. Um, hurry is the enemy of tenderness. You ever try to be tender when you're in a hurry? It's not well done. Believe me. You can. You have. You can't have a tender heart when you're running around preoccupied with yourself. Another reason we it's hard to be tender toward others is that we prejudge people. We don't like the hairstyle. We don't like the color of their skin. We don't like the way they dress. We don't like their attitudes. We don't like how they carry themselves. And this sometimes prevents us from being tender toward them. We've prejudged them before we even talk to them. There's a Peanuts comic strip where Linus has has drawn his own comic strip. So he brings the comic strip to Lucy and he says, Hey, Lucy, you know, read, read this and tell me if you think it's funny. And so the next frame is that Lucy's reading this, and a little grin comes across her face. She starts patting her patting her leg, pretty funny. And so the third frame, she turns to Linus, she says, "Well, who wrote this?" And uh, Linus says, "Well, I wrote it, with a big grin on his face." And the last frame is Lucy taking the comic strip, wadding it up, throwing it down, and said, "Well, then I don't think it's very funny." You see, we come with that attitude. Sometimes we don't give people a chance just because of our predisposition or who we think they are. We don't hear the good that they have to say because we've already written them off. What attitude are you bringing to the fight? That's the first virtue to wear in reducing conflict in our relationships. Be sensitive with an attitude of heartfelt compassion. The second virtue is this. Put on kindness. In your words and in your actions. Colossians 3.12. Put on then, as God's chosen, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness. Another version says, clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts and put on kindness. Clothe yourself. It's your responsibility. It's what you are called to do. Don't neglect to put on what God has laid out for you to wear. If compassion is an attitude we bring to a relationship... ...then kindness is compassion in action. It translates into an attitude... ...into action primarily in two different ways. Number one, by what we say to others. And number two, by how we act toward others. Listen to Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths... ...but only such is good for building up... ...as fits the occasion... ...that it may give grace to those who hear. See, kindness means that you'll speak the truth... But that will be done so in a kind way. You say the truth, but you say it in such a way that it shows respect for the other person. But kindness isn't always shown through words. Kindness is also shown through our actions, how we act toward people. First John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. When you're kind, you, you set off a ripple effect of kindness. When you're kind, the recipient who receives that kindness is more inclined to being, to be kind themselves. You've seen where this kindness is passed along. There was an owner of a, of a coffee shop who was surprised one morning when the customer came up and gave her um, the money for the coffee and then she gave him too much money. She says, I'd like you to, I'd want to pay for the coffee for the person behind me. Oh, that was pretty nice. So she had a smile on her face. The next person comes up. She says, I got good news for you. Your coffee's already been paid for by that car that just pulled away. Really? Well, I'm going to pay for the coffee of the person behind me. And that morning, after 27 customers, it finally ended. But kindness begets kindness. See, what would happen if you consistently showed kindness? Even in the middle of a conflict. Now you may never know the full effect of that kindness, but I will guarantee that it will have an impact. It'll have an effect on other people. It will change the climate of your home. It'll change the climate in the church. And I'm going to be honest with you, I watch some people in this church and I try to imitate certain ones because they have a gift at being able to be kind, no matter what's coming at them. This ability to approach others in conflict with grace and sensitivity, I learn from them. And I bet you can too. So keep an eye open for them. When in conflict, the gloves usually come off. Kindness goes out the window. Do you usually lose your cool? Are you just waiting for the next word they, they say so you can pounce on them? God has laid out for you what you are to wear. Be kind in your words and your actions. Number three, put on courageous humility. Courageous humility. Colossians says... Put on, clothe yourselves with humility. 1 Corinthians 13, love is not proud. Where there's conflict, there's pride. Oftentimes in spades. And then along with, along with pride comes stubbornness, right? Let's say you and I are at a a coffee shop and we're sitting across the table from each other and, and I'm sort of stubborn in my ways and you're stubborn in your ways. You got strong opinions. I have strong opinions and we get ourselves locked in this conflict. Our attitude becomes, I'm not backing down. And yours is no different. And what's the result? More anger, more conflict, more bitterness, Proverbs 13:10 10, 10 says when pride comes with with pride comes only contention. It always does. And the opposite is also true. Humility diffuses arguments. Humility is the courage to say I was wrong. Humility is being honest about one's weaknesses. Humility says, I got some flaws. Sometimes I have my blinders on. I don't have it all together. See, one of the best ways that you could diffuse conflict is to say, I don't have all the answers. James 1.19, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You see, sometimes all you have to do is listen. And the conflict diffuses humility is being willing to admit a mistake. It's courageous. Proverbs 28:13 tells us those who hide their sins won't succeed. Those who confess and give them up will receive mercy. My advice to you and me is give it up. Give it up. Sometimes humility means saying the hardest three words you could ever muster. I was wrong. Tough to say, but, but that will diffuse conflict. Or, please forgive me. Or how about both? I was wrong. Please forgive me. When was the last time you said that and meant that with your spouse? not as a quip just to get things going along again but truly sincerely from the heart and if you're what you're thinking about that if the last time you said that was in 1998 then i think it's 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 time to put it on as one who's been chosen of god holy set apart by god beloved of god it's about time you put off the old and you put on the new That you put off the anger and the wrath and the malice and the slander and the obscene talk, which Dave talked about last week in verse 9. And you put on the new. One of which is courageous humility. Fourthly, put on meekness. Meekness or quiet strength. We've just talked about how to handle conflict when you're in the wrong. But what about when you're in the right? That's almost harder, isn't it? I mean, what if you know what you're standing on is is absolutely true, and the other party is totally wrong. Well, Colossians 3 tells us how to handle this as well, with gentleness and meekness. Paul, When Paul uses the term, just like today, it really is not a term of our society. It's not a positive one. Our society looks at it and says, but in Colossians 3, that's how we handle it. Nobody aspired to it then. Nobody aspires to it now. But it's exactly what is needed in conflict. What's the term mean? Well, the message translation says it well. It says it uses the word quiet strength. It means that you're willing to take someone else's uh, feelings into account. I mean, you may be correct, but you're not necessarily asserting how correct you are. You're willing to make concessions. You're willing to place the relationship ahead of the issue at hand. And that's exactly what Jesus did time and time again. There are times when the issue is worth fighting for. When you're talking about national security, yes. When you're talking about the virgin birth, yes. But most of the time in our world, the issue becomes less important because our egos get more important. And it comes down to preferences. Preferences. It's about what somebody else likes. Or it's about different ways of doing things. Sometimes I don't even remember what the issue is. I just got a grudge. Just hold a grudge toward him. That's all all it is. Don't be arrogant. But insist on getting your... uh, Don't insist on getting your own way. Well, how do you do that? By putting on what Jesus wore every day of the life he was here on this earth. It comes from seeing the other person... As more important than you are. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 commands us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look out for their own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Be quiet in your strength. Be more concerned with others than with yourself. And when this happens, conflict amazingly begins to diffuse. Another word for this is really maturity. What's maturity? Well, maturity is when you, when your concern for other people is greater than your concern for yourself. And you're not mature until that's true in your life. The more selfish you are, the more mature you are. The more unselfish you are, the more mature you are. The more concerned you are with other people the more maturity is on display in your life. And that's quiet strength or gentleness or meekness. Try, try wearing that the next time you uh, have a tizzy with your spouse. Are you quiet in your strength? Are you mature? We're all pursuing it, or we ought to be. And it all starts by putting it on. Putting it on. Try it. It might fit real well. Fifthly, patience. Put a governor on your temper, I said. Patience. Put a governor on your temper. I'm not talking about Governor Tom Wolf. I'm talking about, I'm talking about when I drove a Euclid, an off-road dump truck when I was in college and I, I punched that throttle to go as fast as I could. This thing ought to really move. Boom, I punched the throttle and it just goes not very fast. Why? Because they put a governor on that to to, to restrict how fast you can go. And maybe that was for my own good. Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, I was very disappointed in that. But whichever way you look at it, it, it was something good. It put a governor on that throttle. Well, when it comes to patience, you are putting a governor on your temper. Colossians 3, it continues. Put on then, or clothe yourselves... With compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then Paul goes on to explain this. Bearing with one another. That's that's tolerance, right? So there's patience. But in patience, there's there's the tolerance aspect. Bearing with one another. And then secondly, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. There's forgiveness, the other half. So with patience, there's tolerance and there's forgiveness. And you must make allowance for other people's faults. You must forgive that person who offends you. And the only way you do that is that you remember, as the Lord forgave you, so then you must also forgive others. Patience is putting up with a wrong that someone is causing without doing wrong yourself. It means suffering wrong without retaliating. It means dealing with jerks without becoming a jerk yourself, really. It means putting up with people who irritate us. It means that we, we don't keep a record of wrongs, but rather you forgive them. You know, there's all kinds of energy that's stirred up when we're angry. And the question is, how are you going to use it? You have a choice. You can either use that emotional energy... Uh, in conflict to retaliate and to wipe out that other person or you can use that energy to try to reconcile and resolve and i'll tell you that takes energy too how do you pay back with a blessing instead of a curse how do you pay back when someone's hurling angry words at you how do you pay back with patience instead of more angry words what I try to do, and it's, it's not always good. I'm not always consistent at it. But what I try to do is pray. God, would you please calm my heart right now. And rather than retaliate like I feel like doing, help my words not to be such that they aren't going to stir things up any more than they already are. First Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless For you were called, for this is for which you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Sixth, you put on love in everything for everyone. See, all these commands are summed up in love, and on this clothesline behind me, that's that red, uh, cord that ties all of these garments together. It's not a mushy feeling. It's an act of obedience. I want you to listen to Colossians 3.14. Above all these things, that is that is, a, that is the most important piece of clothing to wear. Above all these things, you put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's how the message translation puts it. Paraphrase, rather. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. love is the ultimate sign of the believer it's the ultimate virtue of diffusing conflict and love trumps everything for everyone the letter to colossians was written to a very unique church a, to a, a church comprised of very diverse people uh, there were greeks and jews there were scythians and barbarians they were slaves they were free all kinds of people bunched together it doesn't sound too bad but And put in our context, it's like holding the Republican convention in downtown Portland. The differences are too great. Conflicts were bound to happen. But let's just consider our church. God loves diversity at Grace Point. We're all different ages. We're all different backgrounds. We all have different personality types. And what makes sense to me might be gibberish to you you don't get it conflicts are bound to happen and when they do happen the one thing that'll keep us all from splintering off is love love is what holds everything together and if you don't have love these other virtues won't do you any good first corinthians 13 paul says no matter what i say no matter what i believe no matter what i do what's he saying i am bankrupt without love First Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly or continue to show deep love for each other. That's what the word earnestly would mean since love covers a multitude of sins. These are virtues. They're attitudes for diffusing conflicts, heartfelt compassion, kindness, courageous humility, quiet strength, patience, and love. So that when the gloves come off, these are the qualities you pick on, you pick up, and put on. Now, if you're if you're a parent, or even if you're not a parent, I would encourage you to consider this book. It's called a Book of Virtues, and uh, it's by it's edited by William Bennett, a treasury of great moral stories. And uh, in this book are all kinds of poetry stories that I would, you you should read to your children and I can't wait to have some grandchildren so that I can read them, read them to mine for sure but it's a great book to pick up that speaks of these six virtues and more another thing I'd encourage you to do is to uh, is to pick up this we do talk about this in discover grace point class but this is a uh, a leaflet that is called the Swiss army knife of conflict responding to conflict biblically put out by peacemakers ministry it gives a compact and yet very thorough uh view how to deal with conflict at all different levels in a god-honoring way and we have them printed up in the office and i would encourage you to call the office or come by the office and ask for one of these and we'll have them for you god made us all diverse contrary to what I may, I may think, I don't have it all together. Contrary to what you may think, you don't have a total perspective on life either. And so God took the truth and He put it in different personalities so that we all would need each other. It's true in marriage. It's true in the church. And as much as I would like to think my worldview is the correct way of seeing things, and that you'd like to think that the way you're doing it is the, is the best and most correct way. It's not. God has seen to it to take the different aspects of truth and bring it together in each one of us so that we need each other to see it totally. He wants those differences not to divide us. He wants the differences to enrich us. Not to, not to compete, but to complement. Don't neglect to put on what God has laid out for you to wear. If you will wear these six virtues, these six attitudes, and build them into your relationships and build them into your life, you'll find less competition and more complementation. You'll find they'll all be bound together in perfect harmony with love. Let's pray. Our Father, in our relationships in the church, and in home as well, may we learn to live out our new identity in Jesus and put all these virtues when our pride is threatened especially, so that your Holy Spirit may have power over us and live his life out through us. Lord, let us not live by human standards when we disagree. Help us to submit to you to our new identity in Christ and to live with Christ's virtues. And Father, I, I know, we know that doesn't happen overnight. But it, but as you give grace day by day, may it bring honor to you as we make these incremental steps to put on more love and these other virtues as well as we interact with spouse, as we interact with others around us with whom we might disagree And may you receive the glory and the praise in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.